Hello and welcome to Little Pine Tree Studio Productions. This is our first podcast series. I'm your host, Dodi Perditas, and this is the Mysteries of Creativity Explored. We want to invite you, our listeners, to join us as we delve into four unique journeys to help us understand what happens in the process of making ideas and dreams into realities. What touches us so deeply that we still find it so worthwhile to continue despite the many frustrations and challenges inherent in the process? What is it that keeps us going? Today in episode three, our guest is Linda Dawn Brown Thompson, MD, author of the children's book, Finding Us. Linda can be reached at www.lindadawnbrown.com. Dot com. And now I will just go immediately into the, the interview. I'm very excited about having you describe for us why you call yourself a hybrid before we really get into any more of the questions. And I'd like you to consider elaborating on the different qualities that you require to be a medical doctor uh, and the qualities that seem at times to oppose that to be an author. Oh, that's a handful. <laughs> it um, is, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think um, from a very young age, I always had an interest that was very, very broad and varied. I loved learning and my parents were very, very different individuals. One was very scientifically based, my father, who was a physician, and my mother was um, much more artistic and uh, basically out there. So um, <laughs> they produced me and I have uh, a good amount of both of them. Um, when I uh, first uh, went to school and through high school, trying to decide you know, what kind of path I wanted to follow in my future, I definitely wanted to follow the arts. Uh, I wanted to write. I wanted to learn different languages. I wanted to um, maybe be some kind of journalist or commentator or something like that in the media. And nobody could talk me out of that direction. As you go further along in high school, you have to make some choices about electives that you take. And I couldn't wait to get out of the sciences, the maths and the physics and, and chemistry. And I just said, I'm not taking them next year. And my father, who had left most of the rearing of the kids up to my mother, said, no, you are taking the sciences. You don't know what you're going to do yet. And you need to have that basis to allow you to make a decision, whatever that decision may be. So I wasn't very happy, but I, it wasn't often he pushed anything. So that's what I did. In the summers, I would work at different jobs as most kids did. And one of them was bed making and in the hospital. And I graduated from bed making to uh, being what they call a ward clerk in future years. And I realized that something just felt right. I wanted to be involved in caring for patients. I was um, amazed at how physicians arrived at their um, diagnoses. And I was really, I felt like I was really pulled apart. Um, and so after high school, before my first year of university, I did a complete and utter turnaround, went totally into the sciences and with a view to pursuing a medical career. I couldn't totally leave my arts behind. So I always had a minor in French. I always took my English, all of that. And at the time, years and years ago, people either went into science or they went into the arts. There was no in-between. Now that's not the case at all today. But I can remember 
going and, you know, going to my lectures and biology and chemistry and going to my labs and so on and so forth. And then on my day when I had my English or my French, I would be zapping to the other side of campus and <laughs> going and doing my art classes, which to me just provided such a wonderful balance to my learning experience that I think it just got incorporated into um, where I was going from there. Could I ask you then, was that a pivotal time in your life? Or were there many pivotal moments when you really just really knew that you had to do something in the creative arts? That was one of the many pivotal one moments. One of the many, yes. Yeah, it was, it was uh, significant in the sense that I chose a field in science that is an art. Medicine is an imperfect science, as anybody who has studied it. If you compare what we yes, do in medicine sure. to what you know a computer engineer does, it's not even or or a theoretical physicist, it's not in the same ballpark. So I did. I was lucky enough, as 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 you say, as a hybrid, to find a career where I could have the the beautiful simplicity and structure of a scientific basis but then take it to the artistic level where you're using what you have and going from there, interacting with people, having relationships, trying to develop your empathetic abilities so that you could actually see how people were feeling and, and be able to meet them at that point and offer them support and comfort. So it was very much a mixture of the two. Now, if I had decided to go into um, interventional radiology, it would have been different. You know, yes, it would have been course. very much more of a physical science type of thing. But as I opted, as the path just kind of unfolded for me, I ended up in family medicine. And I often thought, that if I never knew I was a generalist, I knew then, because that particular field was like an art. Um, you had your scientific base, but you might go in and see one patient who had some kind of musculoskeletal problem. And then the next person might be somebody for an antenatal check. And then somebody else might require grief counseling or whatever. So there was always that variety in every single day that you had. And that to me gave me the fulfillment that I needed in my career. So that requires a lot of compassion and a lot of feelings and exchange of feelings in the practice that you had. I wonder how you protected yourself and were able to deal with all of that. And if the creative arts were part of that. The creative arts saved my life. Um, with medicine and especially family medicine, you develop relationships with patients. And, you know, sometimes things are wonderful and it's a very happy time to be, to have the privilege of being part of their lives. And other times it's incredibly sad and tragic. Mm -hmm. um, and you, sure. it's, you know, you, you meet somebody maybe um, as a child and because I did it for 30 to 40 years, you follow them through their life, becoming a teenager, going on the birth control pill, you know, having a family, um, you know, following their children, and then maybe their grandchildren, you know, as things go along. And you yes. develop, you know, real um, uh, rapport and feelings for these people. That's where the empathy comes in. Because the empathy is that you're not feeling sympathy when something terrible happens because you, you would be no help to anybody. But if you had that empathy and were able to kind of meet them, as I said, where they are and, and kind of work through things with them, that is hard to leave at the office. Some people can do it. Um, I found that even though I would try and leave things at the office. There was always somebody who reminded me of a friend or a relative or somebody like that, that I just felt that I, they invaded my space emotionally. Mm -hmm. And uh, so very soon I realized I had to have a balance in my life and I had to have something to offset that. 
And I'm not even sure whether it was a, a conscious choice. Um, but <laughs> when um, my children were very young and I was working full time and, and, you know, all that that entails, a friend of mine phoned me up and said, there's a course on at the university um, in creative dance. And she could have said woodworking and I would have done it because it was in time to get out of the house. You needed that at that time. I needed that. And all of a sudden I went to the class and it was like, oh my goodness, I feel like I've had a holiday after an hour and a half. And so it was kind of getting in touch with that creative part that had been kind of, I won't say repressed, but put on the back burner for so long. And dancing opened up a tremendous sense of expression in my life and balance to some of the more difficult things that I had to see in my medical practice. Right. Um, I sympathize with that, empathize with that, uh, because as an RN as well, uh, I found the very same thing. And dance, of course, as you know, is one uh of the things we shared to take us into that other realm. So I'm really, I really understand what you're saying. I'll now ask you to elaborate even more. Well, dance led me (laughs) into becoming part of a studio, a dance studio. And my partner in the dance studio was a French speaking man who had trouble at the time (laughs) writing anything in English. (laughs) So it fell to me to do all of our um, promotional uh, material, write articles for magazines, for the newspaper. And then we started to say, well, you know, we've looked at a bunch of recital material that we're seeing other dance studios go, and they're really quite boring. Why don't we try and develop a theme? and have a story that we can put all of our students in different groups to give them characters and they all kind of are part of this this story that we develop and the kids loved it because they it was like a uh, almost like a production for them and you know I'm this and I'm that well you're the bad person where did we save the day and you know all of that they really became very involved in it And to have that story, somebody had to write it. And so I, my business partner, Ricky said, can you write something? And I thought, well, can I? And (laughs) I sat down and I wrote. And that's when kind of the epiphany for me came like, gee, I really like doing this. And it was, it was just an expression of, you know, you sit down and think, what the heck am I going to write about this? And then all of a sudden something starts and it opens and you just get into it and it just, the story takes wings and you, it just kind of unfolds. And that feeling of that creating of something that wasn't there or that was, if it were there, it was deeply buried within was just um, awe-inspiring and uh, just so fulfilling for me. That's uh, a really interesting and lovely theme. And I understand because I have seen some of those and I was part of that at one time. So I think we all share fond memories of that. So what I think I would like you to do now, because that probably was the beginning of your writing for, you know, for the public. Uh, Could you please read from your book, Finding Us, an excerpt? Well, Finding Us is the story of a little boy who is unable to fit in with wherever he finds himself. He's lonely, he's isolated, he tries to fit in, but he just can't. And that to me was very, that's another pivotal um, kind of situation where it was written during COVID. And I had very severe concerns about children, young children who are being brought up during COVID and how that isolation would affect them 
as they tried to integrate back in socially. And I had two grandsons um, at the time who were five and six years old. And I wanted to reach out to them and kind of give them a gift that they could have with them long-term. And also to reach them to, to say, look, it's tough what you're going through right now. And it's hard to be removed from everybody else, but you know what? It's okay to be different and it's okay to find your own path and things will work out. So the book was basically written on that premise. And what the story is, is of a little boy called JJ, who is found by some circus performers and um, ends up being living in a circus and he hates it and he doesn't fit in and nobody really understands him. And one day he meets two friends in a, the very unlikely position of one being an elephant, Eli the elephant, and the other is Stretch the giraffe. And they become fast friends and they, they each have problems fitting in with their peer groups. Now, JJ is looking for a family because he feels like he's orphaned and, and, and very alone that way. Eli is a very gentle soul and is looking for acceptance because the elephants think he's a sissy. And Stretch the Giraffe is looking for freedom. He wants to live his life the way he wants and he doesn't want to be hemmed in. So the three of them get together and they decide they're going to run away from the circus. And originally I wanted to write about a boy um, leaving the circus to find a home, which was the opposite of what most tales are about. However, when I Googled, I found that that had been done. So I had to go back to the drawing <laughs> You had to rethink that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so this kind of evolved over time. And so these, the, the three of them decide to leave the circus. And as they do, everything that they find that this path lights up in front of them and they go towards three, three blue moons. And as they kind of start on the path, everything behind them disappears. So they can't go back. And they enter, what I'm going to read to you is when they, they've, they've escaped from the circus, surface, circus, sorry, there's nothing behind them and they have to go forward and they're entering into an enchanted forest. And I will read to you from that. Thank you. The path suddenly turned and they entered a forest, but this was no normal forest. It was enchanted. The trees and animals seemed to have a life of their own and they urged the friends forward. They were led to a gnarled old tree. A plain looking bird was sitting on a branch and she called to them. Stretch dismissed her. Don't answer her. She is no one. She's not even pretty. Her feathers are dull brown. Well, maybe a bit of red on the tail, but not worth our while. However, the bird was a nightingale, and she lifted her head and began to sing. They heard the most beautiful music ever. She sang as if she knew them and understood their plight. She said they must be strong. And above all, stay on the path to find their happiness. She told them they may be tested by dark forces along the way. But if they listened to her, they would succeed in finding what they were looking for. The three friends were in awe. They promised to follow her advice and struck out on their journey again with newfound energy. Eli was not going to let Stretch off easily for his treatment of the nightingale. So you see, Stretch, you can't tell anything by how someone appears. They may have incredible beauty inside, like our friend, the Nightingale. We all need to remember that. Stretch nodded, bowing his head sheepishly, which is quite something when done by a giraffe. They continued along the path and came to a brook with a lovely wooden bridge over it. They could see that the path continued on the other side, 
but they had to cross the bridge to reach it. As soon as he stepped off the path and onto the bridge, JJ heard some whispering coming from the grass along the water's edge. Come to us, come to us. We will grant you your wish of a family and home. All you need to do is to leave the bridge, the voices said. The other two did not appear to hear anything, but JJ saw a chance for his dreams to come true. He edged towards the side of the bridge. The grass suddenly grew longer and started to sway on through the bridge, wrapping around JJ's legs. He was being pulled toward the water. Eli and Stretch had almost reached the path on the other side. They turned and saw JJ trapped by the grass as he was forced towards the side of the bridge. They ran back to him and Eli cried out, no, 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 remember what the nightingale said. We must stay on the path and not be tempted to leave it. Those plants want to eat you alive. They are trying to trick you. As soon as they reached him, they started to pull JJ away from the grasping greens. It was difficult, but they finally were able to set him free. And as he was released, they all fell back onto the ground. JJ would end up with a bruise on his bottom, but he would not soon forget this experience. As they finished crossing the bridge, they could hear a growling noise behind them. The boy eating plants would go hungry tonight. Wow, that was close, said Eli. Sometimes you want something so much, you don't see what's really there. JJ was shaking, still frightened, but managed to say, thank you for saving me. I was almost leered off the path and into terrible danger. You are true friends. So that's just a little excerpt as they start on to their journey and they have multiple different kind of fantasy adventures and meet interesting, funky people on the way. <laughs> and, and as they, you know, as they continue, I will ask you again to read at the end of our interview, Linda, I enjoy listening to the book. I think it's quite profound and on many different levels. So going ahead now with, I'd like to know what you really enjoyed most about creating that book. I think I kind of feel like, you know, where somebody's uh, running a marathon and they hold a torch and uh -huh. you're handing the torch off to the next person to run their part of the the race right. and that's how it would for me it was let's take some of the kind of I don't want to say lessons but maybe lessons that you um, glean from reading this book and carry them on to the next group so that the, the people I was wanting to pass on my torch to were my grandsons I see I, I guess I share some of these ideas as well. And certainly in creating Little Pine Tree Studio and the website, I've thought a lot about, uh, you know, who is going to read this and hopefully find inspiration often in what you were sharing with us, what Alex was shared with us, what Paul has shared with us. So I do really understand how you want to leave something of value. And since all of you have created something of value, not just to yourself, but for others. I think that's a wonderful example. And I appreciate all the sharing that we have with that. Uh, at the same time, when I ask you what you most enjoy, I also then have to ask you, what's the least that you enjoy? And how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, the creative process is obviously what most people who are, whatever they're creating right. is, is the, the, the part that gives you the positive strokes of fulfillment, whatever. But the basic practical nature of things that have to be done in order to be able to share this with other readers, and that would be, I hate editing. I hate <laughs> it. And it's back and forth and back and forth and changing formats from, cause I work yes. on, on Apple and the <clears throat> publishing company is a PC. So oh, that adds another things. layer of complication to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so editing 
which I mean, of course it's necessary. <laughs> um, and um, promotion, um, I found, I found it was difficult to kind of say, you should read this because it's really good because I felt like I was uncomfortable promoting myself, you know, um, right. and searching different um, venues like TV interviews or things in the paper. You really have to reach out because it's not like people are coming looking for you because they don't even know you're there. <laughs> so right. you have to, <laughs> you know, you have to reach out for, for all of that. Um, so I would say it's all, if you don't do that, whatever you've created is not shared. It no. stays, it stays under a bushel. So right. it's very necessary, but that's the part I don't like. But you did reach out to a, um, someone to help you with that. Um, the publishing company will give you advice um, and that's basically, they said, you know, I don't do Facebook as a rule. Right. I don't do Instagram naturally. Well, I had to get an Instagram account. I had to get a Facebook. So they, because I was told social media is the way that people will, it's the quickest way to promote things. And it, I think I have something like 25,000 people on my Instagram now. From the book. So, well, I guess so. That's all I put mm -hmm. on about it. But so, you know, not that all of them are still following, but at least that reached that number of people. Um, I was told I should get a web page. And luckily, I have a son who is, you know, able to help me with that. Not just help me, did it, you know. <laughs> um, so I, and that you know, I can direct people towards that and add to it as, as further uh, creative efforts um, are appear. Yes, I think that we included in the introduction, that website, I think that was the one you wanted people to yeah, pursue. That's correct, if, yeah. if, yes, okay. So I really want then to ask you, how much time do you set aside? How do you arrange your time when you're doing, uh, when you're authoring, when you're creating these stories? Uh, how, how, how does that happen? Are you sitting at a computer and it pops up? Or do you allow only so much time? Uh, and what does it do to your time? What usually happens is I will wake up in the middle of the night with an idea. Oh, or I will be um, you know, walking in the woods and I get an idea or I will be driving in the car and I'll get an idea. And it's like, it's like, it's like a whiff and I'll oh. think well, that's, that might be interesting. And then it goes away. But the ones that keep coming back are the ones that I think, okay, let's see if this will work. Let's see what we can do with this. And then when I decide, okay, it's time to take all of these, you know, filter through what I've been, has been coming into my head, into my mind. Then I sit down, but I have to have a really blank period of time. I can't do it, say, oh, I've got two hours before I have to go to such and such a meeting or whatever. It's like, I, this is a blank day. I'm sitting down and I usually write by hand because mm. I write and I leave space and then I, I read it to myself, like read it out loud to see whether or not it flows. And sometimes when you're writing and sometimes I just let it go and just see what happens. And then I go back over and think, oh dear, no, this isn't going to work at all. <laughs> and, and then I, then I change different things. So for my first draft, I actually do it the old fashioned way and I write it out and then I read it and I fix it and then I put it aside and then I go back to it again. And then I, and what happens with me is that as I put something aside, then another, maybe a week later, I'll think, oh, that would be really interesting to have happen in this particular story. And then I'll go back to it and see about incorporating. So it's continually changing. Um, I see. And, and when my first draft even though it's not absolutely what I want, then I go to the computer 
and then I type it up and I save it. And then I go back and I work on it. Um, but for the first part, I just need to feel the paper and be yes. able to scratch yeah. things out and, you know, go yeah. back and, and, and that's kind of how it, how it, how it starts. But um, so I when you were, when you were writing for the studio for five, yeah. six, seven, eight, uh, you wouldn't have had that part on the computer that much. Would no, you? that would no. have, that, no, that yeah. was, um, that was. Yeah, that was before I would have had the technical ability to kind of sit down and do word processing and stuff. It, I used to just say, okay, let's see what's happening in the world and how, what would be interesting to kids. So it might be something like an underwater show because mm -hmm. of what was happening. And, and, and then that would be the theme of it or my very favorite show that I ever did, and I think you were part of this one, was The Crystal. And yeah. that was that was the, the magic crystal. And it was when everybody was, you know, energies from crystals and so on and so forth. And that was um, something that, you know, people really got into. And the kids got into it. And the adults got into it. And the energy that was generated by that show, I don't think we ever matched. Um, we, but for writing for a studio or for children, you have to find something that the kids are going to buy into. Right. And you want and that energy in there. You want them to, to, to want to do it. Otherwise they, they're just going to look like a bunch of, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people walking through, you know, <laughs> stepping through the motions rather than, rather than really being excited and expressing it. The other one that that I did that I really, really like was um, it was Sidney Crump uh, visits the Circus of the Sky. And that was written with a partner and he did the music. It was a musical. It was a children's musical. And he did the music for it and the lyrics. And I wrote the story. And that one we, you know, we took to schools. We translated it into French. We, you know, performed it in theaters and to full, you know, sold out audiences and the kids loved it um, because there was an, an exploding balloon in it and there were, you know, um, things were strobe lights and there were, you know, some things that were done in slow motion and, and the characters were all, you know, characters that kids could identify with. And that was a really good one. I've done some ones that I'm not so happy with, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll forget those for now. <laughs> um, back to the book. How long from beginning to end was that was that book on your mind? And how long did it actually get to realize it, to make it come to life? The book was on my mind probably for two years. Two years. Um, and I was, I had the ideas, the actual writing of the first draft took me about four months and then going to the publishing that took a full year after that. Oh, did it really? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, because of the editing back and forth, because, um, trying to get an illustrator because I can't draw stick figures and to do a children's book without you know, really good illustrations, you might as well, you know, not bother. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky in the sense I, I talked with other authors, children's authors, and I was, and I also had friends who are artists who I had asked if they would do the art part for, for, for my um, uh, manuscript. And three of them just said, Linda, I am not an illustrator for a book. I'm an artist. I do this. I do, I do portraits. I do landscapes. I do, but I don't illustrate for a book. And that is a very specific talent, which who knew I didn't. And mm. um, mm -hmm. so one of the authors that I talked with, she was actually in Chicago and she had written quite a few, I think, children's books. And she was a friend of a friend of mine. And, and uh, so she was lovely. And she said, Linda, I have written X number of children's books. I've never met the illustrator. She said, when you go to the publisher, 
they will send you tell them kind of what it is you envision and they will send mm -hmm. you demonstrations of specific authors or illustrators work and I think I got sent three or four one of them I knew just wasn't going to work for me one was I I liked a lot and the other was kind of a close runner-up my the one that I really that I was going to go with um, was not the one I eventually chose because I was looking at it I like abstract and you know kind of that type of thing and my husband at the time looked at it and said you know Linda this is for children this illustrator look at the eyes on those kids look at the faces what she's drawn that's what's going to apply to kids and I looked at him I said you know what you're absolutely right I'm doing it for what I like I slipped off yeah. I, I slipped off the path shall we say <laughs> so anyway I ended up going with that um author or illustrator Angela Guliaf and never met the woman um but apparently she's a she's a street painter in Vancouver. Uh, once I had chosen her, then I did not communicate directly with her. You communicate through um, an agent. And so, and you have an account, an, an author's account. So, you know, I say, I like this one and okay, fine. Uh, what, where do you want the pictures? And, and this is another of the practical things. There's a package for X amount of dollars. You can have this many pictures and, you know, <laughs> so many, yes. and all of that. So I had to figure out, you know, without breaking the bank and, and also to make it, you know, readable and enjoyable for children. And uh, so I, I always envisioned JJ as a red headed little boy with freckles and with, I had him in blue shorts with, a red striped t-shirt why I don't know that was my JJ in my head and I always envisioned Eli the elephant as being gentle and soft with a colored sash around his neck and I always envisioned stretch as being the one who mo looked the most like the animal he was supposed to be um, and so I wrote all of the things and I, I went through the through the story and I said, yes, we need a picture here and I need a full page picture here and I need, and this is what I want it to show and da, 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 da. And then I just crossed my fingers and a few weeks later, I got her, like her um, first draft of the drawings and I thought, my God, this woman has been inside my head. They I were wonderful. I have to, uh, they were wonderful. And I think I wish I could show those pictures on uh, yeah. our podcast, but it, people can see them on your website. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and the thing was, too, and I have to say this, because when I got them, I, I went back to the agent. I said, I want her name on the because they, they weren't even going to put her name, you know. Oh, that's too bad, and isn't her, it? You know, and I said, would she consent to having her her name on the book as the illustrator and so he said let me get back to you he did and said oh yeah sure and so and and really people who have almost without exception people who have looked at the book have said who did the drawings not mm -hmm. isn't this a wonderful story it's like who did those drawings because <laughs> I really believe for those of you who are going to be writing children's books that's what the kids look at that's what has to sell your story because if they don't see that character saying those words that are coming out of the mouth it just loses all of the impact to it so i you know officially just absolutely thank her for however she got in my head she did well i think it was a big success uh so then i would also like to know you've had some tough times in your life everybody has but how do you deal with them and what keeps you going when you're in the midst of a challenge or a crisis or what? Well, my dancing really went up a notch when my mom was um, dying of breast cancer. And that was the only thing that I found that for that period of a couple of hours that I could go and I could do my bat moms as high as I'd ever done them. And then some, um, yeah. and I, I would feel like I had had, 
I'd, I'd been res rescued, if it were, from that, that period of stress, that I had that break, and nothing else did that for me. Um, I think you're alluding to the fact that that my husband just recently passed away. I was um, going to come to that, but that's been um, very recent. And yes. if you're comfortable sharing, I think we'd all like to know about that, because it's always a challenge with people when they're getting older, that they lose someone. Absolutely. Um, well, my husband had been ill for quite a few years. And so by being able to create and all of the positive energy that that includes was a way that I could maintain a positive outlook. And I shared some of the stuff with him. And as I said, with these, he certainly had input into the illustrations. And it was something that just fueled me because there's nothing better than a trip to fantasy land when things in reality are very tough to deal with. Mm -hmm. And once again, it's that it's that science and, and art. Like when the reality is, is very, very difficult, where do you get that energy to deal with it and to get through it? And for me, it was through, through my creativity. Um, I know that I'm, I'm working on about 40% through um, my first draft of my next book. And I was I just going to ask you that too. <laughs> so you are, <laughs> it's, it's in the process, is it? It is in the process. And I plan to hopefully finish it this, at least the first draft this summer. But I know that, you know, what has happened in my life will certainly have an impact on what I write, but not to be macabre, just basically mm -hmm. to kids have lost things too. Um, a lot of them. And as I was saying about COVID, you think about, I mean, I think there's, there's a place for talking about difficult things in our lives in a positive way. Like you yes. can get through this, you know, this is not the end of the world. And I mean, if you think about a child, we've been in COVID now for like, what, three, four years. Mm. Um, if you look at a six-year-old, they didn't know what it was like before COVID. They wouldn't have the memory. So there are kids out there who, I mean, now they're getting integrated into schools and playgroups and so on and so forth. But up until the past year, there would have been children who never knew what it was like to go out without a mask, never That's played right. with other kids. Mm -hmm. um, the isolation was terrible was for that time. Unbelievable. And then yes. and then to have to come through that. And I, I, I know there's been a lot written about it in the pediatric literature. Yes, um, sir. But yeah, there has. And but and and it will continue because I just look at I look at my grandkids and see the impact that it's had on them and other children and how they interact on the, you know, in the schoolyard and that type of thing. So, I mean, kids are, kids, kids are suffering too. And oh, yes. yeah, but absolutely. I mean, we don't, we don't see it the same way or we don't interpret it, or maybe we're not looking for it as adults, but absolutely they are. It's just that they express it differently. And if I can tap into that and give them a little bit of hope, then oh. That will yes. be, you know, or strategies, not not wanting to preach, but just to kind of say there's light at the end of the tunnel here, you know. And that, that's inspiring. I think it's so important to inspire because that touches deeply. Yeah. That can have lasting impact yeah. all your life, really. And, you know, the corollary to that is that I find I learn from children. I, I learn about the simplicity of how they see things, maybe the concreteness, but it works. You know, it works in some very tough situations. For example, if you have a child who um, loses a parent mm -hmm. and yeah. everybody's running up and saying, oh, my dear, you know, and, and they'll say, well, who's going to take care of me? And, oh, you know, Uncle Joe will be here and Aunt Simone and da-da-da-da, we'll do this and that. They don't mean that. They mean, who's giving me dinner tonight? Where am I sleeping? 
you know, all of that. And, and maybe we should all learn from that. Maybe that's the first step to getting on with life. And then you can integrate a lot of the emotional issues that have to go through. So I think it's a two-way street. I, I really do. I, I find that I'm learning from children at the same time that I hope that I'm imparting something to them that has, that I have, you know, had the experience. Well, I really understand. And I like that concept that you've, you are giving them what they need. They're giving you what you need. Absolutely. And it's, it's a cycle and it's, it keeps both going. And the other thing that I kind of, I guess the other point that I want to make is, and I, I tried to do this, although not really hard, but it kind of worked out that way. I, I wanted to write so that, you know, dad or mom or uncle or aunt or grandpa or grandma who's reading to the kids can get a message out of it too, that it can be kind of understood on different levels. Yeah. Um, and I, I think back to Bugs Bunny. You know, when we used to watch Bugs Bunny and I used to watch with my parents and they would be in hysterics, but not for what I was laughing at <laughs> because there was a different level different that you level. could actually enjoy, you know, yes. the dry comment or whatever that the kids were probably, you know, laughing at the physical comedy or whatever. But yes. that idea of having that, the message, maybe it's the same message. It's just trans transmitted in different ways to on different levels to different ages but I think that's exactly what you did in that book I think when adults read that book they see that um, as a metaphor for a lot of life in general and children see it simply as the characters but I think certainly in in that book at least when I read it I was seeing it sort of like Winnie the Pooh yeah. Which, is, which is for children and for adults. So that's yeah. uh, obviously you're just explaining how you see some of that, which is very interesting. So why don't you read us one more excerpt uh, from, your, from your book? And then, you know, we could, well, we could leave that till the very end, or we could read that now and then just go into it a little bit more in detail after you've sure. read it. Um, the next excerpt that I've chosen is when um, <clears throat> the, the three friends um, meet um, uh, a very strange purple-haired character who appears out of nowhere, and he has um, a... Uh, uh, he has a train that he wants to take them on a journey up through the clouds. And they just kind of, the path ends and they're thinking, well, you know, the nightingale didn't tell us about this. And then all of a sudden he materializes and he says, I'm your guide for the next part of your journey. And his name is Lolly. And he's a, he's a clown, but he's a happy clown. He's not the type that would frighten kids in the circus. And he's got purple curly hair and a beard and a big, big smile. So here they are when they meet Lolly. Hello, my name is Lolly and I've been waiting for you, said the clown. The nightingale sent me a message that you were on your way and I am to guide you to your final destination. I know where you've come from and why you were on your journey. I too made that choice a long time ago. I have no regrets. Come into the car. You must be tired and hungry. Eli did not have to be asked twice. I am famished and parched. It had been a long time since his last meal, and Eli loved his food. JJ and Stretch looked at each other. They had followed the Nightingale's advice so far, so it seemed right that they should continue to do so. Lolly said, let me introduce you to some of the interplanetary, interplanetary magic express. I will be your conductor. You do not need to buy tickets as you have already paid your fares by believing in yourselves and staying on the path. With that, 
He clapped his hands and a spray of sparkling dust burst forth. Following this, there was a loud hiss from the engine and a squeal of the wheels and the train began to move. JJ looked at his friends and said, I feel excited that we are nearly at the end of our journey, but I'm also sad that it will be over so soon. Eli smiled, licked the last bit of his peanut butter and banana sandwich from his lips and said, but we have had this journey and our friendship. We can never lose that. Stretch agreed, adding, I never thought about taking a journey into the unknown, even though I was so unhappy in the circus. But I would have been afraid to take the chance without you too. Lolly looked at them and said, if you have found the secret of friendship and you like both yourselves and each other, then this journey has been worthwhile and you have yet to reach your final destination. He concluded, JJ, you wanted a home and a family where you could belong. Eli, you wanted to be loved and accepted for who you are and not to have to pretend to be someone you are not. And Stretch, you longed for freedom with no cages, either real or imagined. Have you stopped to think about this? You three are a family. You are accepted. And you are free to be on your journey. You have truly found what you were searching for in each other. With that, the magic train lifted off the ground and flew up into the clouds in the direction of the three suns. The friends gazed in wonder all around them. They were truly having the adventure of their lives. Even JJ forgot his fear of heights and the sparkling dust settled. Lolly began to sing. He had such a lovely lilting voice that they became drowsy and fell into a deep, deep, deep sleep. How long they slept, they did not know. But as they awakened, the train had stopped and Lolly had disappeared. There was only a single brownish red tail feather left on the seat where he had been sitting. Quite lovely. <laughs> Thank you, Linda, for reading that. I guess what I would say, what is the most important thing you want to say to your audience when you're creating a book, uh, but just in general, even to people who are not perhaps their creative outlets are not the same as ours. What would you say to, say, a younger person or middle-aged person who is rather stalled? What advice would you give them? I have two things. Mm -hmm. One is that there's great creativity in all of us. Mm -hmm. Some maybe more so than others. Some, as you rightly said, are expressed in different ways. It could be you know, building uh, a home or mm -hmm. paving a sidewalk, whatever. It, it, it's, it's something that comes from within that's special to you and, and makes you feel good about how you express that. You know, the visual arts the, um, are, are certainly the ones that you notice, but it's not the only thing. And certainly if you have like Ed, Edward Scissorhands was creative, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, so somebody who is sculpting um, trees in a garden, that's creative. Somebody who um, may, might be arranging stones on a beach into a sculpture or something, that's creative. Um, somebody who is uh, putting ice cream in a cone and, you know, deciding what color goes where or, you know, what... Uh, shape it's going to take. That's creative. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't it it doesn't necessarily have to you know be the the things you would think of as as visual art. It's just getting in touch with something that's inside and allowing the expression of that. That to me is creativity. The other thing and the big thing that I hope um, is to impart is hope, because I find that we are living in an extremely complex society right now. Uh, Absolutely. There's so much that's going on in the world um, and not much of it is um, that I think that we really have to search for 
something positive, albeit could be something very small, but at least it's not, we're not being drawn into the vortex of negativity because, you know, that is um, so detrimental in on so many levels. So if I can say to people, you know, find something positive, as small as it may be in whatever you're doing. And I try to, um, with what I write, try to find something that, you know, even if the message is a sad message, there are some laughs along the way. Oh, yes. It's, not it's so that. important to, yeah, uh, the just, laugh breaks that humor is really, yeah. I find in my life, a requirement. Absolutely. I mean, like, I'm not saying be Pollyanna, not oh, at no. all, because no, that no, would, no, but, but I mean, even um, choosing my husband's grave oh. plot, <laughs> we laughed, we had laughed, <laughs> my children and I, I mean, we, uh, a type of it, they call it a niche, and it's a drawer you pull out, and the ashes are in a in an urn and put in the drawer. And the lady at the funeral parlor said, well, you know, um, if you're both being cremated and you choose the right size of urn, you can both be put in one drawer. I thought, <laughs> perfect. And so anyway, the, the box that we chose, um, my husband loved Gibbert <laughs> furniture. And so my daughter said, have you got anything in Gibbert? And the lady who is at who was the uh, funeral director said, well, actually this man used to work for Gibbert and it's a lovely, beautiful, beautifully finished box. I said, okay, perfect. But she said, you won't be able to put two of those in one of these niches. You're going to have to, you know, buy two niches, you know, you can have the drawer next to them or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so I said to the kids, I, well, it's, it's not up to me. It's, this is about him right now. So I know he'd like that. We all thought he would like it put them in and then we, we went to talk about the cost of all this and she said well each of those drawers would be seventy five hundred dollars and I looked at my kids and I said let's talk about plots in the ground and my son said to me why are you worried about money and I said I'm not worried about money in that sense but if I spent $15,000 on two drawers with ashes inside of it, <laughs> your father would be jump-started back here quicker than any kind of a defibrillator could do. <laughs> and we all, I mean, we all just started laughing because that yes. was who he was. He was a Scottish guy who didn't like spending money. And it wasn't, I didn't feel that we were being you know, disrespectful to his image, I think he would have said, thank you, Linda. <laughs> you knew I wouldn't have been happy there. And yeah. actually the funeral director, she had her eyes open like two saucers and she just bent over and cracked up because it was just <laughs> one of those things that, yeah, let's be real here. You know, let's think about <laughs> who this is for and, you know, what is the reasonable thing to do? And obviously we're all devastated by his loss, but this was something that we could kind of get together in the midst of our, of our terrible sadness right. and, and kind of embrace and, and kind of say, boy, would he have been upset if we did that? And it kind of segues into being able to celebrate that person and remember when this happened and, you know, remember. When oh, that yes. Happened. That's and very so much, much part of my tradition, the yeah, Irish. Yeah. And, uh, but I think because the, you, you had this as a celebration of life, you certainly celebrated the person oh, yeah. he was, absolutely. And it's good. And there was a lot of laughter and, and but loving laughter. Yes. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that makes a difference. Absolutely. I think that yeah. does. So um, it's, it's wonderful to hear that because I think so many people are afraid of really uh, approaching these uh, difficult topics and you know often out of concern for the people they don't want to be offensive they uh, yeah. you know they they want to consider your feelings at the time but they're uncomfortable with that and I think talking about these things just makes that it just makes it so much more the part of the reality that we live in and in mm -hmm. a good way so mm -hmm. I really thank you for 
bringing those things up in in the way that that you did, I think it's important, very important. And I want to thank you for that. Um, I think that before we would close on this, I would like to know more about the book and how you're continuing your path now. You're in a very different situation on your own. You have a book partly um, composed. Can you tell us a little bit more about the composure or the book? I've been by that, the topic, the route you're going to go, and just what your plans are as you move forward into this new life that you're, you have to create. Well, um, I actually started this book when my husband was getting pretty ill. And one of my favorite children authors was Shel Silverstein. And I just started writing and all of a sudden it was poetry. And I thought, where did this come from? And, and then I just started doing a whole story in poetry. Um, mm. And it's probably, it's, it's, it's that story's finished. I, it, I have to, I have to tweak it a bit, but that, that was finished. And then I, and then I started thinking, and then I started getting these um, thoughts about things that rhymed. And then I started thinking about when I was a kid, standing, you know, watching a train come into a train station and thinking it was a great big snake with a big, you know, um, oh. cyclops eye and, you know, being terrified and, and, and all of that. And, and then I started thinking, why don't I write poetry as seen in the eyes of a child if I can? So it's going to be an anthology. It's going to of poetry for kids and big kids. Oh, good. And, and, <laughs> we'll include and, ourselves in that. <laughs> so there's going to be the one major story, which is um, it's a fantasy thing again, but not at all like Finding Us. But but it is going to be a fantasy um, tale that you know you could read for bedtime stories. But then the others are, some of them are like eight lines, some of them four lines, some of them, and all different. Remember when you were a kid and you're traveling in the back seat? are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we oh, there yes. yet? Something oh, like yes. that, a poetry about something about that, um, about um, learning to, uh, you know, text when you're a kid. I mean, it's going to be all sorts of things from different walks and that's going to, I guess, frame, if you will, the main story, which is going to be poetry. So hopefully, I mean, I'm, I'm having fun doing it, whether, you know, hopefully people will want to read it. Um, but uh, well, I certainly have... from the examples that you gave, I think everybody can relate to that, either as the kid, or as yeah. the parents of the uh, <laughs> who's driving the car, or the ones in the back seat. I think we all you know, again, yeah. that's an example of two audiences at the same time yeah. in one book, yeah. which is uh, quite exciting. Yeah. So, yes. And uh, when did you say that we could expect that book? You still oh, have a long way to go. Oh, yeah. I mean, I want to finish the, the final draft by the end of the summer. And then it's a year. Out. Like, like publishing takes a year. They basically does it, say, does it right from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, because you send your stuff off and then it, it gets edited and then gets sent back. And some of the editing that was done on Finding Us, they wanted me to change the end of the story and I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So I just said, thank you for your input, but no, you know. Good. So it, there for has you. to be, a, yeah. Well, I mean, it, that, it was that your was story. Old, yeah, it was my story. Um, and, uh, you know, so that goes back and forth and each time is like a couple of weeks. And then of course there is trying to find an illustrator again, I'm, you know, and how it's going to fit into, this is going to be a different type of idea for a book. So, you know. Yeah, can you use the same um, illustrator? I will, I will certainly ask if she is available. If what I finish will be the genre that I think she will fit into, if you see what I mean. Right. There may, and so, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of 
you know, they, they will send something back and say, you know, choose this, this or that. We want to hear from you in two weeks. And oh. then it gets back. And then it's another two weeks for them to get back to me with something else. So they, and then when the print, when the book is finally finished, then the actual printing of it, that takes several weeks, mm -hmm. you know, to get it so that it's put out there. So yeah, I would say I'm, I'm thinking about hopefully next spring, early summer. Okay. Well, we'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Be you know, because I think there are a lot of people out there who maybe at the beginning of this journey that you have already uh, endeavored uh, to be part of. And I think that will be very helpful to them to, to really know the ropes a bit, because we all go into things with ideas and, and the ideas are straightforward, but the actualizing the project is never straightforward as far as I can see to anybody who I've worked closely with. Uh, and all of that, I, I really think what I like about all of this is that, yes, you have realized your dreams. Yes, you had an idea, you gave it life, but you've had to struggle through that. And you can share some really good insights with the audience that were, uh, I think, are listening to us at this point in time. And that's valuable. It's valuable. Uh, for your own feedback, I know, but I think it's I think it's very valuable to a lot of people out there. And for that reason, I'm very happy that you shared this with everybody. Uh, it, 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 you've been very gracious about how you've shared this. You've been very genuine with how you've uh, promoted your book and how you how, how you've really got the whole process to come together and leave you, I think, a little more comfortable in in how you will approach it as you move forward. Does that speak to anything that you feel, or would you yes. like to elaborate yeah. on that? No, I think you. I think you hit the nail right on the head. Yes. Yeah. You you don't have anything to read from that book though, at the moment, do you? No, I don't. No. no. Okay. No. Well, I think what you shared with us is quite wonderful. I I really, in conclusion, want to thank you. Linda, I'll give your um, address again. It's www.lindadawnbrown.com, where you will be able to see these wonderful <laughs> illustrations. It, it was a lovely conversation with you, Linda. I'm certainly looking forward to us having more of these as time goes on. And we'll be looking forward to getting together in one of the episodes coming up soon with you and Alex and Paul and myself. And we will look forward to that in the future. Thank you ever so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me.